man has climbed every mountain, no matter how high, he has conquered the planets from sky to sky. But there is a place where man has not been, and that's where my Lord says he's buried my sin. In the depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness, removed as the east is from west, far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea. Gone are the shackles, gone are the stains. I'm free from the bondage, free from the chains. My sins are separated as darkness from dawn. Praise God, I'm forgiven. My sins are all gone in the depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness, removed as the east is from west, far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea, in the depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness, removed as the east is from west, far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea, my sins are in the depths of the sea. that song. I, it's, a, it's an easy song to sing because it moves well and boy, what a great message it has. Amen? It's just a good message. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through, uh, let's see, verse, um, well, I have here verse 13, so we'll read that. I'm thinking we really only need the first 12, but we'll read to verse 13. Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's uh, about the fifth book of the Bible there. Call it the Pentateuch. There's five books. It's the last of the Pentateuch, Penta being five. So I think we're pretty close there, the, ten, the fifth book. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Again, it's Father's Day, and so I am going to uh, kind of bring, I guess you'd call it a Father's Day charge or message. Um, I would say this, however, there's no doubt that there's not a, a lady in our midst that wouldn't benefit from and glean from the message if you'll listen, but I do want to direct it primarily to fathers as a whole, but I'm sure all of us will glean today. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 1, and um, before we do, Mark Twain said this, and this, this is going to shock some of you. He said, when I was a boy of 14, 
My father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. No one in the room's ever felt that way. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished how much the old man learned in seven years. Isn't that something? I won't even ask for a raise of hands how many of you have felt that way at some point. <clears throat> After putting a three-year-old child, Brian, to bed, his parents heard this muffle, muffle of sobs in the other room, and they didn't understand what was going on. And so they ran on into the room, and the child began to f hysterically cry and scream. And he told his parents that he had accidentally swallowed a penny, and he was just certain he was going to die. The father, in an attempt to kind of quiet the child down and comfort the child, took a penny out of his pocket and he pretended to pull that penny out of Brian's ear. The child was extremely thrilled and he just stopped crying all at once. And just in a flash, without even thinking, he snatched the penny from his dad's hand, swallowed it, and then said, Do it again, Dad! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could see a kid doing that, couldn't we? Yeah. While they were having an evening dinner together, a little girl looked up at her father and said, Daddy, you're the boss in our family, right? And Dad, of course, was very pleased to hear that and confidently said, Yes, my little princess. And she said, Well, that's because Mommy put you in charge, right? <laughs> Five-year-old Becky she answers the door one day, and there's a census taker that was coming by the, uh, through the streets, and so he, he greeted her at the door. She greeted him at the door, I should say, and she told the census taker that her daddy was a doctor, and he wasn't home, though, because he was performing an appendectomy. He said, my, that's sure a big word for such a little girl. Do you know what it means? Sure, 15,000 bucks, and that doesn't even include the anesthesiologist. <laughs> yeah. Finally, a, a little boy, he was in church for the first time as he watched the ushers pass by during the offering. They passed the offering plates by, should I say, and when the offering plate neared the pew where he sat, the young little fellow jumped up and piped up, and everyone heard him say, Don't pay for me, Daddy, I'm under five. <laughs> he learned Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, <clears throat> that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as fauntlets 
between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We'll stop right there. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you for this opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather today in this place. Speak to our hearts in these next few moments, Lord, and Lord, be glorified in everything that's said and done. Again, Lord, we are grateful for the privilege of being called dad. But, Lord, on the other hand, there is a tremendous weight and responsibility that accompanies it. I pray, dear God, that you'd help each dad in this room today to be encouraged to be the best dad they can possibly be. And, Lord, help each person that is here to glean from your word what you'd have them to have. We love you now. We thank you for what you will accomplish in Christ's name. Amen. Now, after exiting Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites journeyed to Mount Horeb where they received the law of God. Of course, Moses and Joshua made their way on top of the mount, and there God began to write, uh, as we know with his finger, the commandments. The problem was is that the children of Israel grew very restless and rebellious in those 40 days and 40 nights, so much so that they collected the spoil of gold from Egypt. And they, they gathered it all together and they convinced Aaron to melt it down and to mold a golden calf. We know that ultimately Aaron would say that somehow it just popped out of the fire. But we know that someone crafted it and molded it. We know God certainly didn't do that. As a result, we know that things did not end well. Things never end well with idolatry. And in this particular case, 3,000 died because of their rebellion and sin against God. Eventually, they make their way past that event, and God begins to work and move once again in their midst. They find themselves at a position or a place in their history where now it's time to occupy the land that God had intended them to receive, the promised land. They send out 13 spies to survey the land and to gain information concerning enemy placement and strength. Eleven of the spies express fear and they recommend that they do not go forward nor take the land. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, are extremely positive and believe that it's time to obey God and to do exactly what God said and to take the land and to trust God with the outcome. Still, those 11 won out, and in their fear, they convinced the rest to hold back and to rebel against God's plan and purpose. And so the nation rejects God's perfect plan for their life. As a result of their uh, faithlessness, they wander for 40 years now. 40 years in the wilderness. All those that are 20 years and above die in the wilderness. But while they're journeying, another generation rises up. This new generation now faces the old prospect of entering the land again. They're faced with the same decision that their parents had. 
How did they respond? Well, we know as we review that the children of Israel rejoiced when they were delivered out of the hand of a sadistic Pharaoh. We know that they reveled in idolatry when they had grown impatient with the man of God. We know they rebounded by following God to the edge of the promised land. How unfortunately they rebelled by not trusting and obeying God's promise concerning the land and enemy. But thankfully they regretted their insubordination and their rebellion. And they remembered the failure of their loved ones. And ultimately they recommitted themselves to God and His word and His ways. So now, in chapter 5 of the book of Deuteronomy, we see that Moses is used to restate the very law that they received in chapter 20 of Exodus. It's been 40 years now, so we're going to once again restate the law so that everyone is very clear exactly what God expects and demands. And in chapter 6, we now arrive at our passage. And right in the very first verse, it says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. He says, uh, those commandments that you've been given, not just the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, but all the commands and all the statutes and all the judgments that I've given you, you are to keep them and you are to perform them and you're to do them as you make your way into this new promised land. See, the commands, the statutes, and the judgments are those that have been restated. It's not just a couple that we see here listed in this chapter 6, but it's all those that were listed already in the book of Exodus. And you know, there's not one of them that's insignificant, and there's not one of them that's unimportant. And God always intends and expects us to obey all His commands. He doesn't say, well, you know, I've given you 20. If you're just shooting 75%, you'll be all right. God wants us to be at 100% obedience. Then He moves on to verse 2 and He says, That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Again, God, He intends us to observe and to obey His commands. But He does that with a reason, a purpose. If your mom or dad tell you to do something, I would hope and I believe and trust that they have a reason for it. Someone says, uh, son, don't play in the street. Don't ride your bike in the middle of the road. There's a reason for that. It's not they're trying to make you miserable. They're trying to protect you. And in God's case, he has a reason for every command and every statute and every judgment. And that reason, he says, is that both you and your offspring can enjoy prolonged life and blessing. You know, this is a general rule that dovetails kind of with that law of reaping and sowing, doesn't it? And when a person obeys God's laws, when they allow themselves to be governed by a healthy, moral, ethical lifestyle, he or she is bound to avoid the many consequences of a worldly and a very reckless existence. You know, God, I'm always amazed. Someone reads a passage like this and says, well, I knew somebody that was living for God and died early. 
God's a liar. You know how foolish that is? See, this doesn't mean that we're not exempt, that we're exempt from normal tragedies in life that, that life presents. I mean, we, we are just humans. Uh, you know, troubles come as the sparks fly upward, friend. The fact is, is that because of sin, we're lucky that we have one day to live, let alone years. It does mean, however, that lives will be fuller and in many cases longer. It is not a promise that everyone that does my word... And by the way, have you ever known anybody that's kept the word of God without failing? That's kept every law and every command and every statute perfectly? Maybe we'll give God a pass. And until one of us can do that, then we'll say it's okay that maybe we didn't live quite as long as we'd like. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 3 says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee that they may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Again, the prosperity of the nation itself, Israel, was directly linked to the obedience of the individual. You know, we dismiss our responsibility when it comes to the state of our nation sometimes. We want to blame our government. We want to blame churches. We want to blame groups. We want to blame this and blame that. But let's face it, each and every one of us in this room have to take, carry a bit of the responsibility. If we don't carry the responsibility for how it arrived here, then we carry a responsibility for where it ends up. Not one of these young people can say, well, I, I have nothing to do with this. I can't affect the government. I can't affect the world. I can't affect my, my, my life. No, you have a voice and you have a life. You need to live your life in a way that it impacts the world you live in. We all take a, have a responsibility. In this case, the people of God made decisions, and those decisions would affect the nation. And may I say, the problem is Americans have made decisions, and it has affected our nation. He says, observe my commands, my statutes, my judgments as a nation, and you will prosper as a nation. And today on this Father's Day, there is little doubt that of the importance, I should say, of, the, of a believing and faithful mother. It may be Father's Day, but moms, we cannot dismiss your influence and impact in the lives of children today. And, and of course, we see evidence of this reality in Scripture with Timothy. We know that Timothy's father was an unbeliever from all indication, and his mother and grandmother were very faithful, however. Uh, his life was positively and very powerfully affected by the influence and the, the impact of mom and grandma. But still, according to the word of God today, dad is to guide the home both physically and spiritually. And, and the passage that we're in kind of highlights the most essential and the most important role that dad has in the home and that he has in impacting society today. And this morning, I want to focus on a father, just a father. I'm going to make a couple statements about a father from the passage. So let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer and then we'll continue. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for your word and we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather today. Now, empower us one more time. We need you, Lord. And again, Father, we prayed earlier already, but Father, I just asked you, Father, just to supernaturally work in our lives. Father, um, it's possible that there are a number of men in, our, in the room today that know what we're going to talk about today. 
And Father, there's a difference between knowing something and doing something. And I pray, Lord, that we would be doers and not just hearers of the Word of God today. Help us, Lord, as men and as fathers, as believers, to be doers, not just hearers. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's talk about a father. First of all, a father's focus. A father's focus. Look at verse 4 and 5 in the passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, again, last week we were able to look into that word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and we said that's Jehovah. It's God as creator. God as creator. And God, I mean, God is covenant. Excuse me, God of, of the covenant. He's Jehovah, God of covenant. But then we looked at God, the word God, G-O-D, small O and D. That's L. That's abbreviated Elohim. He's God the creator. So we have here a God of covenant. And then we have God the creator here with his great strength and all his might. And so what he's saying is, is that the Lord our God, He's saying the Lord Jehovah, the God of covenant, the Lord creator, God himself, with all his strength and all his might is one Lord. One Lord. He's one. He's united. He's one. You need to love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And you know, the Bible tells us that's the greatest command in Scripture. Do you realize that? That is the greatest command in Scripture, according to Matthew. Look there, Matthew 22, verse 36. There is no greater command in Scripture than to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Notice what he says in Matthew 22, verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now I want you to notice all your heart. All your heart. Now can I say this, and I, I, and I hope nobody misunderstands what I'm going to say, but that doesn't mean you can only love God. I mean, you have this heart, okay, and, and, and if we could take it and see it physically, he says, you need to love the Lord like with all thy heart. So does that mean that there's no more room for anyone or anything else? To, you can't love anyone or anything else? Well, scripturally, that's impossible because we're commanded to love our neighbors according to Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. The next verse says, the second is to love thy neighbors thyself. So obviously God's not saying the only person you can love is me. And, and he goes on to tell husbands that they're to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it in Ephesians 5. He goes on to say the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. So there's no doubt that, we're not, that we can't just say, well, I just have to love God. I'm sorry. I can't love anybody else. I can't uh, you know, have compassion and love for anybody else. It's all God. I have to love God with all my heart so I have no more room to love anyone else. That's not what he's talking about. But what we do know is that there is a priority here. There is to be nobody loved more. And there's never a time that anyone should be loved more than God. Never, under any circumstance. 
It doesn't mean I can't love my wife. It doesn't mean I can't love my children. It doesn't mean I can't love a lot of people. I'm commanded to love them, but I am not commanded to love anyone more than him. Every command in the Word of God, as we said, is important and valuable. But this one has more weight to it, it seems. It seems at least the Lord intended it to have more weight. And why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because our attitude toward and our obedience to the rest of the law is directly linked to our dependence upon God and our love for God. If you don't love God you will not keep His commandments. But if you do love Him, you need to keep His commandments. As a dad, your focus ought to be your relationship with God first and foremost. Not with your wife first. Not with your children Not with your boss, not with your teacher, not with your sensei, not with your cab driver that picks you up and takes you off, or a driver like I have, or your jet pilot like I have. My Learjet, you know how it is, flying from meeting to meeting across the country. Some people that are visiting are going, man, I don't know if I like this church already. (laughs) Not the only driver I have is when my wife says she'll drive. So anyway, but there's no one to be loved more than him. Father's focus, a father's focus is Jesus Christ. A father's focus is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy, thy soul, with all thy might. That's the focus. I don't have time to get into this, but you're going to find that love is not... Let's see, how can I say this? You don't, you don't scare people into loving you. You love people into loving you. And God loved you first, and that's why you ought to love Him. But as a father, we are so programmed to think sometimes that our first responsibility is to provide financially for our kids. That is not biblical or scriptural. Your greatest focus has got to be your relationship with Jesus Christ. So we see a father's focus. We note a father's faith in verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Notice where the Word of God is. It's not on His lips only. It's not in His actions only. It's in His heart. It's in the heart. Again, He says, I've given you this. Now you've got it. It's in your heart. If you don't have obedience in your heart, you will not obey. It's not enough to do right. You have to be right. You can't just put on the dog. You can't put on a show. You can't just kind of act the part. You've got to be the part. 
And you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, but so many times it appears to me and seems to me that we, we take that aspect of our life and we surrender it or turn it over to mom and say, you're the one that has to have a walk with God and a relationship with God, and you're the one that has to be responsible for the spiritual well-being of our home. And God says that is totally upside down. Dad, your first focus and priority ought to be your walk with God, your relationship with the Lord. You ought to love Him with all your heart. But then it ought to be in your heart. Isn't it amazing how hard it is to serve the Lord sometimes? You want to know why? Because we don't love Him like we ought to. Because we want other things. He's not the priority in our life. Someone says, I don't believe that. Well, then look how we act. You questioning my love for God? No, we'll leave that to God. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then do what I ask you to do. Do what I'm telling you to do. That's all I'm... It's all God wants. And dad, it's not enough to just have it in our head. It's not enough to just say this is what should be. We have to live that life. It's our faith being exhibited. It's being lived out. It's not listening to the wrong things. It's not going the wrong places. It's not doing the wrong things. It's not talking the wrong way. It's living like Jesus wants us to. It's being that testimony and example we ought to be to our children every day of our life. That's what we're responsible for. I'm a good dad. You might be a good dad, but you aren't necessarily a godly one. You can be good, but that doesn't mean you're... And and I'm talking about good in in the world's eyes. But that doesn't mean you're godly. A father's faith. A father's faith. So we see his focus ought to be Christ alone and his relationship with the Lord. His faith ought to be exhibited and lived out in his life. But then we notice a father's family. Verse 7 through 9. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and thou shalt be as fauntlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. The word diligently here. Thou shalt teach them diligently, he says, unto thy children. That word means with steady application and care, with industry or attention, not carelessly, not negligently. Man, you know how easy it is, how, how, how quick we can get distracted in this world in which we live. I'm, I'm going to, I love the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to be the, the I'm going to live the life. I'm going to exhibit my faith. But then we get into our family and sometimes it gets difficult to diligently teach those principles and truths. It's a challenge. He says, now that you've got it, give it to your children. And by the way, you can't give your children what you don't have. You can't do it. You say, well, 
uh, I want my children to be the best Christian they can be. I want them to grow up to be a man of God. I want them to grow up with a relationship with the Lord. I want them to grow up to have a prayer life and to, to be faithful in God's house. I want them to grow up to want to just live a moral, a clean life. Okay, well, then you, you have to be that if you want to give it to them. Then that's what you have to be. And by the way, I watch it all the time. I, I, again, I appreciate moms. I, uh, moms without you. I mean, and, and there's examples of people like Timothy, obviously. Where we have those, those rare examples of a situation where because of the grace of God, supernaturally, a child turns out for the Lord in spite of the fact that a dad is an unbeliever. But can I tell you something? When a dad is a believer and he lives like the world, all bets are off. It's one thing when a mom lives for God and her husband's an infidel. And everybody in the house knows dad doesn't believe in the Lord. Therefore, he acts the way he does because he is an unbeliever. That's understandable. And that makes sense even to a child when confronted with Scripture. A child can figure that out. Oh, daddy's not saved. Daddy doesn't have Jesus living in him. Therefore, daddy doesn't have the power not to sin. But when daddy does and he chooses to live like the world, then we got a problem. It's hard enough to raise our children right. It's hard enough to see them grow up to be consistent and faithful in the house of God and serving the Lord Jesus Christ, let alone to go ahead and give them the example of unfaithfulness. Father's family, diligence in teaching the Word of God, in talking of it always, he says. Talking about it, teaching it in the home, in and out of the home, out and about, in the evening, in the morning. He goes on to say, remember these statutes, these commandments, these judgments continually. Hide them in your heart and rehearse them in your mind. Display them in the home and display them outside the home. Listen, it doesn't matter. Go ahead and pretend to be something you're not here, but then don't act like it at home. And you are inconsistent and a hypocrite in the eyes of your children. It's a difficult battle sometimes. To maintain that consistency in our lives. But we must do it as dads. And it begins first and foremost with that relationship with Christ. And it continues with that faith being exhibited and living it out. And then in that family, speaking about it, teaching it and talking about it, allowing it to be ever in our presence, having that time of fellowship as a family around the word of God going ahead and making Jesus big in our home and in the eyes of our children not allowing certain things to to overshadow God's house and God's will and God's plan and God's purpose for our lives wouldn't it be sad I, and, I'm, and again don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here but I, it, would be, it would break my heart if, if you went to my children and said What's the most important thing in your dad's life? And they said, whether the Cavs win the championship or not. Wouldn't that be pitiful? Whether Cleveland finally breaks the curse. Man, that's all he can talk about. It's all he thinks about. That's it. That's all. I'm not saying that. Listen, we, I, I was joking around with one of the fellows already saying, man, I am going to be focused. But come tonight, it's on. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to flip a switch and it's going to be all calves. Well, almost all calves. I'm going to give them peace of my heart. 
I'm rooting for him, baby. I wanted to win. I want to bring home a championship. But hold on a second. Can you imagine if that's how I was remembered by my children? On the epitaph, Dad loves sports. Wow. What a legacy. But may I say today, if we could corral the children in your home, your life, those ones that God has entrusted into your watch care, and we could, we could poll them. We could question them and ask them, what the most important thing to daddy? What would they say? What would their response be? I, I, think about that for me. Now listen, that we can go on. Well, they'd say is my, my. You got to think about that one, don't you? Would it be your television set? Would it be that favorite show? Would it be that night out with the guys? Would it be that sport that you play? Would it be those things that you do on the side, your hobby? You love woodworking more than you love the Lord? Would they say that? I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm spitballing a little bit. Christ has to be at the center of our life, the center of our marriage, and the center of our home. So we see a father's... We've got to find it here now, right? Focus. A father's faith and a father's family. But notice a father's fruit in verse 10. It is worth loving the Lord Jesus Christ, gentlemen. And it is worth living a life of faith. And it is worth teaching and training your children to love Him also. Why is that? What, what is the fruit of it? And it shall be, verse 10, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which He sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of uh, all good things... Uh, which thou fillest not, and wells dig, which thou diggest not, vineyards which, and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Listen, I, God's marvelous grace is available to us when we, as a dad, make Christ first. When we, as a, as a father, Truly live a life of faith, acting out the faith, being a walking Bible. When we teach and we talk about the Word of God in our home throughout the day, every day, and even wherever we go, it's worth it, first of all, because God's grace will be extended to us and our families. Notice... This is literally grace being exhibited. Your houses, he says, it just notice, full of all good things which thou fillest what? Not. He, he talks about wells that they dig not. He talks about vineyards and olive trees that they planted not. He talks about all of these things that, that they have that they did not deserve. They did nothing for. They simply received them from the hand of God. Why? Because they were obeying what God had told them. And as a dad... They obeyed, and as a dad, they taught and trained their children to do the same. We see God's hand of blessing 
And we could go back to verses 1 through 3, and we can see very quickly that the outcome of this obedience by you as an individual man, a father in your home, the outcome will ultimately affect the nation. And it will affect generation after generation after generation in three ways. Extended life, joyful living, and a lasting legacy. We see that in verses 1 through 3. That's what happens. Stand up, would you, brother? Come over here. As a dad, I have a son. I am to... it's not enough for me to send him to church with mom. It's not enough for me to tell him how much God ought to mean to him. It's not enough for me to tell him that, you know, son, serving the Lord's important. And uh, I'm not taking anything away from that. But, you know, dad has to work. And dad has to provide. And dad has to do this. And dad has to do that. And dad's really tired when he comes home. And dad's really this. And dad's really that. But you need to love the Lord, brother. That's not enough. Ain't getting it done. I'm sorry, but that's not going to get it done. Because, see, what's going to happen is, is this. Faith stops right here. Stops right, right here. Oh, well, he's saved, brother. He's saved. Yeah, he's saved, all right. But what's going to happen? Stand up, would you, brother? Stand right there. He's saved, but he never saw faith lived out in his daddy's life. What kind of life do you think he's going to live? The one he saw lived out or the one he didn't see lived out? He's going to live the life he saw lived out. Oh, he might be saved, but he's not going to do any more than his daddy did. And he's probably going to do a lot less. You say, how do you know that? Knock on some bus doors like we knock on bus doors around here, week in and week out. Talk to the people who no longer attend church, but their parents did but they only did it nominally. Or they only did it when it was convenient. Grandma drugged mom and dad to church all the time. My parents felt that that was a little overboard. So they kind of gave me a choice to make. Oh, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I got saved when I was a kid at VBS. Oh, yeah, I got saved in that church when I was only 10 or 12. Yeah, I got saved. Are you in church? No, I don't go. Oh, I see you have a son here. Anybody tell me how this child's going to get saved if this man right here ain't living the faith, he's not even in church, and he's not under the influence of the Word of God in any way, shape, or form? You know where now salvation, the life of faith stopped here. But now literal faith stops here. I mean, even salvation stops here. See, the problem is, is that if you don't live the faith, gentlemen, Your child may get saved if you keep them in church long enough. The problem is their children will have nothing to do with it. That's what we're finding happening. And that's happening in our generation right before our very eyes. Just talk to a 12 or 13-year-old today, and they'll say, well, we don't go to church. Really? I'll talk to their parents, and they'll say, well, I used to go. Really? How faithful were your parents? Well, they were, well, we'd go to church sometimes. Somebody says, church ain't what it's all about. Okay, Every time I talk to somebody, though, that's not in church, they make church a big deal. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't go to church, don't talk to me about exercising your faith. Don't tell me how good and faithful and how godly you are. Please don't do that. You, can't, you cannot disobey God's word and then tell me you're, you're godly. 
forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as men or sons. Well, I wish we had less services. Well, yeah, and then if that was the case, we'd be less encouraged. It's not getting any easier, any easier to live in this world, folks. It's only getting harder. But I'm going to tell you something. The life of faith will stop with you. That son won't get the life of faith. This one won't even get the faith. That's the danger of this. Thank you. And gentlemen, I just want you to understand how important it is. Because, see, that brings us to our last point real quick, a father's fear. Notice what the greatest fear, your greatest fear should be as a dad. And we have to close this out because I know Brother Brad's got a couple things for you dads. But I want to show you this. Look at, lest, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware, lest thou forget the Lord. Beware, lest thou forget the Lord. Beware, lest thou forget the Lord. He says, you, you, you know, Dad, he says, it's important that you understand that you need a focus. And that focus is Jesus Christ. And you need to love him with all your heart, your, 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 your soul, and your might. And then, you, you know, your faith ought to be exhibited in your life. And it ought to be taken into the home. And then you ought to, you ought to exhibit that faith in the family by, by teaching and talking about the Lord all the time. Always training and teaching them about the faith. And then, Dad, you're going to see fruit from that. God's going to bless not only you as a man, not only your union as a husband and wife, not only your home, but it's going to affect your church. It's going to affect your community. It'll affect your country. It'll affect your nation. But, Dad, your greatest fear, he says, ought to be the fear of forgetting the Lord. It shouldn't be my greatest fear is whether or not I can buy a new car. My greatest fear is whether or not I can provide a nice house for my family. My greatest fear is whether or not I can pay the bills. My greatest fear is whether or not I'm going to get sick or I can take care of my kids. That's, that's not what he said. That's not the thing that you need to be most concerned about, Dad. You know what you need to be most concerned about in your life and in your home? It's that you don't forget God. That good times are here, and boy, we do have enough money to make it, and we do have food on the table, and we do have a roof over our head, and things are going smoothly, or at least it seems like it, and we have our bumps in the road. But man, praise God, at least we're making it. Oh, wait a second. We forgot something. Or should I say someone, maybe? The Lord. That ought to be your greatest fear, Dad, is that you forget Him. That ought to scare the life out of you, the thought that you might just forget God. And the life of faith will stop between you and your son. And then literally, your grandchildren will not even have the faith. That ought to be your greatest fear. Nothing else should consume you like that. And I know we shouldn't, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. But you ought to be concerned about that most. Of all things, that ought to be your greatest concern. Dad, continue to love Jesus and stay faithful to him and live the life. Don't just know the life. Live it and share it with your family. Take spiritual leadership. Be the head of the home. Like, oh, I'm the head of the home. Well, how are you doing on spiritual matters? Because those are more important than anything. Let's raise a generation that loves Jesus Christ as much if not more than us. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And it is, it is uh, simple. But, Lord, it's, it's sometimes, Lord, it's, 
It's not easy because, Lord, it goes against the grain sometimes. 